0: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Progressive Bitcoiner. I'm your host, Trey Walsh, and today we have on the show, Eric. Eric is a UX designer. He's worked on the Cashew app that many of you might be familiar with called E-Nuts and so many other projects and has a real eye and attention for detail with with UX, UI design, and Bitcoin being in the space for a little while now. So this was a really interesting conversation. Talk about some of my favorite things involving uh, mainstream adoption of Bitcoin, building products that folks really want to use in Bitcoin, whether it's wallets, whether it's cashew implementations of of Bitcoin, focusing on design and things like that. And then also talking about politics um, and talking about different movements within Bitcoin, different approaches and hurdles to uh, Bitcoin adoption and community. We talked about privacy, governments, um, different things like that. So this was a really good conversation. I really loved having Eric on to talk about it. And I'm sure many of you will uh, find uh, many different things that you're interested in this conversation, whether it's more the technical design side of things, whether it's our talking about politics and, you know, censorship resistant stuff, privacy, and hoping to get more and more away from privacy and free speech being known as right-wing talking points, which really drives me crazy. um, and, And just focusing on, you know, human flourishing and the importance of of things like privacy and freedom of speech for everyone regardless of your political leanings and encouraging that so thank you so much eric for coming on the show and for everyone please follow along with with eric's work he does really incredible work you can find all of his uh contact um you know social handles and things like that in the show notes so thanks again eric and thank you all for listening uh if you find value in this podcast really encourage you to share this episode with anyone you might think would be interested in this show and also to keep up with our show, uh, we have our Substack that I've mentioned before in episodes. So if you register, if you sign up for our Substack, stack, um, you'll get episodes delivered to your inbox every Tuesday. And we also do a weekly newsletter as well, focusing on world events uh, and Bitcoin uh, through the lens of progressive values and things like that. So sh- be sure to sign up for our sub stack if you haven't already, and be sure to check out our sponsors as well and those promo links for SaaS mining and BitBox and the show notes to take advantage of those and if you have any feedback at all as always you can reach out to me at hello at com. all right i'll let you get to the episode now and we will see you again next week hey eric welcome to the progressive bitcoiner how are you hey i'm doing well thanks for having me trey absolutely uh really looking forward to this conversation i think there's there's so much going on that I, i don't know where to start in terms of you were just saying you know getting back from some travels and jumping back into to Bitcoin stuff. Um, but I want to let you introduce yourself. I think some people will know who you are and know some, some of the products you've probably worked on. i um, maybe seen you on social media and stuff like that. But do you want to tell people you know, who you are, what you do?
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, my name's Eric. I'm a UX designer. That stands for user experience designer. I work on a couple of different Bitcoin projects and some open source stuff. Some of the Bitcoin projects that I work on, Uh, One is Hoseki, which is a a Bitcoin proof of assets or proof of reserves uh, piece of software. It lets you basically prove that you have Bitcoin ownership without having to move it, uh, largely using signature verification. So it uses kind of these innate properties that already exist in the Bitcoin protocol to let you express that ownership. Uh, Another uh, project that I've been working on that's kind of more in the open source world is eNuts, which is a cashew uh, wallet. So for those who don't know cashew is a chamian based uh chamian e cash based kind of scheme uh for bitcoin that interoperates with with bitcoin lightning and w- what cashew does is it basically uses blinded signatures to allow people to to send uh tokens e cash tokens uh that are pegged to lightning uh, and you can send these very privately and instantly with no fees so it's a it's kind of um a, a very
0: kind of timely and relevant project to be working on now yeah um tell people a little bit why you feel that it's timely and relevant to work on obviously one of the things that i had mentioned to you is love to discuss um you know part of the show and part of what i think is super important is just talking to regular everyday folks who are just coming into bitcoin you know fortunately or unfortunately especially if uh, some crazy price action starts happening this year more and more people get uh more intrigued and interested in bitcoin and hopefully if they're Using Bitcoin as it's intended. They're using products that lets them hold their own keys, spend Mm and send Bitcoin, all of this stuff. And one thing they might notice, uh, the past little while, fees have been pretty expensive for Bitcoin on-chain. And then figuring out how to use Lightning, how to use these other products, whether it's, you know, liquid, cashew, things like that, to just be able to spend Bitcoin um and not be so overwhelmed by the expensive fees or trying to time fees and things like that. So can you talk to people a little bit about maybe we can just start there uh with with Enuts or with cashew in general and how that maybe addresses some of those concerns
1: yeah, so in the the high fee environment that we've been seeing right now, it's making on chain kind of prohibitively expensive for a very small transactions, especially if you want to onboard a new person mm-hmm. so maybe taking like a step back is one one thing that I like to think about uh, as a designer is is w- what is the the experience of somebody that's trying to accomplish a goal so if you look at like somebody that's brand new to Bitcoin and they're trying to to interact with Bitcoin for the first time, there are different kind of routes they can go on. There are different ways. And usually what you want to have uh, is create a good positive onboarding experience, meaning that when they use it, it, it kind of has a feeling of magic and it kind of feels like it works and like it's simple and it's intuitive. And in order to do that, you know, there are different kind of shortcuts you can take or there are, you know, different layers of Bitcoin that they can use to, to accomplish this. So... E- and design plays a role in this as well. So eNuts is, is like I mentioned, is, is a cashew wallet. And wh- what eNuts allows um, someone to do is to instantly receive uh, eCash, which is denominated in sats. And it, it does this because you don't need to have, um, one, you don't need to open up a lightning channel to interact with, uh, with cashew uh you can just uh open up a Cashew wallet and then just you know somebody can push money directly to you uh in in enuts in Cashew, the the money is the data so it, it eliminates that that barrier to entry of having to you know maybe if you download an on-chain wallet the first thing you have to do is wait you know 10 minutes for a transaction confirmation if you download a, a non-custodial lightning wallet and you receive and you receive money um you know you, you have to uh open up a channel first so th- there's that kind of like issue of having like uh, enough uh, liquidity and in, in liquidity to receive the payment. Now, one of the, the things that you kind of touched on is I- in order to, you know, there are different kind of philosophies about, you know, what is Bitcoin? What is real Bitcoin? How do you, how, how do you make this distinction? And this is kind of where custodial and non-custodial kind of come into play. These are two different ways to use Bitcoin. And there are certain people that feel, you know, uh, if it's custodial Bitcoin, it's not real Bitcoin. You know, mm-hmm. it's not, not your, not your keys not not your Bitcoin. So I, I look at things a little bit differently. I think that there are different tools to accomplish different tasks. Mm-hmm. And in uh, an analogy that I like to use is when you're learning how to drive a car, the first thing you you do, the first thing you don't wanna do is maybe parallel park or just go on the highway immediately or try something like that. The first thing you want to do is, you know, practice in kind of like a nerfed environment and maybe uh, a parking lot. You go slow, you learn the basics first before you get into the more advanced things. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that the, the experience of using Bitcoin can be a lot like that. Maybe the first touch point that someone has with Bitcoin, um, it should be as, as simple as, as possible. It should have as little barriers as possible. It should have as little kind of potentials for the person to fail as possible. And this is where I think custodial solutions can play a role. And Cashew is is a custodial solution. So there is a, a mint, there is a, a central server that is uh, a- authorizing, in, the, in this case, this signing, burning, and issuing uh, eCash tokens. So it's it's it is a custodial solution. There's there's no you know no no doubt about that. It's very clear but it has a, a lot of benefits. Uh, not, not only are there tremendous privacy benefits, but there are uh, kind of the benefits where you can transact immediately
0: without any fees. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the, um, one of the. I'm glad you mentioned this. I've mentioned this a few times on the show because I think of my own journey in Bitcoin and I don't have any technical background. I'm such like a humanities <laughs> kid and history buff um, and political nerd. So coming into all of this, any technical components of this? Like, yes, I know how to navigate like, Google Suite and efficiencies for work and, you know, my nonprofit work, things like that. But coming in, you know, I think I bought a Bitcoin on like Coinbase. Um, everything I was using was pretty centralized at first. But immediately, once I kind of started understanding really in the first month of Bitcoin and what it was, I wanted to protect it and I wanted to figure out how do I hold this in the best, most secure way possible, just exactly. understanding that. So I think some people need to realize and remember, maybe not everyone does that. But a large amount of people, once they get Bitcoin and once they start accumulating more, they want to figure out what's the best way for me to hold this and secure this or use this in the way it's like intended, right? Those kind of things. And I know there's many ways that it's meant uh, intended to be used, but I mean in terms of like maybe holding your own keys, things like that. I think some folks get afraid that if once they start on a centralized, um, you know, place or, or kind of something that's really easy to access, they'll just stay there and get lazy with mm-hmm. it. And I'm like, well, you know, maybe that's a conversation for the ETFs and things like that, but you know, something like purchasing Bitcoin within the first month, you know, I sent it to, I think, Moon Wallet at the time. And then I kind of went down that rabbit hole of running like Raspberry Pi. Like, I was just like, Oh, my gosh, I need to like, figure this out pretty quickly. Um, And if I did that with zero technical background, I'm like, I think a good chunk of people are going to want to try to figure out uh, how to how to how to use this. So I think the concern is a little overblown, uh, sometimes in the Bitcoin community. And I could be, you know, really wrong about this in, in some ways. But I've seen it just from personal examples that other people have mentioned that are similar to mine.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's the famous kind of Steve Jobs example. He used to say, you know, they will learn uh, when, you know, he he discussed certain, you know, design ideas that maybe were uh, kind of ahead of its time or whatever the case may be. I, I think that people are a lot smarter uh, than, you mm-hmm. know, sometimes uh, we Bitcoin or they're more capable than then we give them credit for and people will learn how to, how to use these things and design and UX is going to play a role in that because we're progressively getting better and better at making these things less technically challenging. The more that Bitcoin matures, it's still, you know, only 15 years old. It's still kind of a very, a very, a very young Mm -hmm. protocol. It's a very young technology. And it's, it doesn't have a lot of um, it's also very immature in terms of design. There hasn't been a lot of design culture and a lot of design focus in, in this protocol. And that's, you know, Continuing to evolve, the more time, just the older that this gets, so it's all going to lead to becoming a lot more easier. And yeah. then people are also going to see the value in, you know, why you don't want to have, you know, your, your savings on a custodial solution. These things will become uh, more understandable, right?
0: I would say with like uh, cashew and um, E Nuts, which I played around with it for a few months. I absolutely love it. It's one of my favorite things I think to to play with in terms of like an app and sending mm-hmm. and, and spending. I just think it's really cool. Um, but also e nuts or anyone in cashew has been very upfront. Up I, I think it, just in terms of saying this is a custodial solution, like no one's trying to play any tricks on what it is or, or isn't type thing. But for you, is there some of the ways I like to think is in terms of metaphors, and I've heard so many different metaphors about cashew. Um, is there metaphors that you kind of refer to when explaining to people who let's say they barely know anything about Bitcoin, much less, you know, mm-hmm. cashew and kind of what's going on with. With enuts, are the typical metaphors that you would say in terms of because I think one of the greatest things about it is kind of the walled garden privacy uh, component yeah. of it is very very cool as a as a solution and, and could I could see so many really great use cases in environments where that's really needed like it it's it's nice to have like in a U.S. or Western context but there's so many other use cases I could think for especially for human rights and, and things like this um, mm-hmm. for for you know surveillance states China all sorts of other things. So are there metaphors that you typically go to when explaining Cashew? Yeah, there's, I like to use the metaphor of, um, you're
1: kind of at a casino and you're getting these poker chips. Mm. So let's say, you know, with, with, with Cashew, you come in with, with your money, which in this case is, is Bitcoin. And you want to be able to go to the, just like you would in the casino, you go to the teller at the casino and you give them the money. And in exchange, they give you these, these chips, right? They have no idea kind of who you are, but they, they can take your money. They can say, okay, this is, you know, authentic money and they can issue you these chips that they know that they are authentic as well. So then you get these chips and then you can go about the casino and you can do all kinds of things with these chips, right? You can trade them with other people. They can exchange hands 5 10 15 times you can you know swap them with other people you can bet and then get a bunch of other chips that belong to other people and mix it up and when you let's say that you want to then cash out you want to exchange these poker chips for for your bitcoin or your money again well then you would go to the teller and you would hand them back these chips now the teller at this point they have no idea who you know if they look at your stack of chips they have no idea how many people you transacted with who were those people mm-hmm. uh you know which accounts they belong to. The teller has absolutely no idea. All the teller does is it looks at the chips. It has a way of authenticating them saying, okay, yeah, these aren't forgeries. These aren't inauthentic. And then it takes the chips, it cashes them out, and it gives you your money again. So this is how you can see that it kind of has that privacy benefit where the Mint in this case is uh, is totally blind. It has no concept of users, of accounts or anything like that. It's only, it's only knowledge is, is this token? Valid or not was it issued by me or not, and it does that through verifying its signature, so is this something that I've signed for in the past, or have I not signed for it and then when you when the mint looks at it, it says, "Okay, this is valid, it burns it, destroys it, and then it redeems another one mm-hmm. so that's kind of how it keeps this this uh this chain of privacy going and it prevents double spending as well
0: yeah and I, and I don't know if we've said it, but the uh the on ramp and off ramp is lightning, so this is through mm-hmm. that lightning invoice um Process. If I'm not mistaken, there's no kind of on-chain. It's only Lightning, right? Yeah, that's
1: correct. So you exchange Lightning, Bitcoin on Lightning, for kashu or e- eCash tokens. And then you can just, you know, interact with these tokens uh, with anyone as long as they're connected to the same Mint, the same, you know, central server or bank, as you would call it. And w- what's beautiful about uh, uh, kashu is that anyone can run their own Mint. So mm-hmm. we've set it up on Ellen bits where you can go to Ellen bits and you can spin up your own cashew mint in a couple of clicks. And we're working on making that progressively more and more easier. So you can see how we can get to a world where if a lot of people are running their own mints, uh, it kind of helps with uh, sovereignty and preventing
0: centralization in that yeah. regard. Do you think there, I don't know if this, because I know there's kind of mint management, I guess, I guess it's more just of a naming mechanism <clears throat> for the user, but I know in eNuts, nuts, mm-hmm. um, because I've been playing around a lot with uh, Zeus wallet and lightning and the node in your phone. So is that kind of a similar thing that could happen with cashew where there's a mint management in the mobile device, such as like node in your phone, or would it not be similar to that? Their degree. So we're, We're working on having mint
1: management that will allow you to basically connect to multiple mints or what you can do also is, you know, if you have certain tokens in that you've already issued uh, with the mint, you can go into the various mint and check if those tokens have been spent or not. But there's less of a degree of control over you have with like a node, for example. But we are, you know, giving you the ability to connect to multiple different uh, cashew mints. Any mint that's a part of the cashew protocol, you should be able to connect to
0: from one app. Got it. And what do you think, kind of looking to the future? Obviously, um, how how long has Cashew been around? It, has it been just a couple of years? Has it been longer than that in terms of protocol?
1: Yeah, I think it's been uh, a, a little. Uh, it was about a year in, when it was Baltic Honey Badger in September? No, uh, June. I, th- I think July?
0: it was. You sent me over that video. Yeah, yeah. It, okay, it, it, this is past summer, late summer. Yeah,
1: yeah. So it, it was a year in the summer. So the the okay. developer that that lo- has largely been working on it. It's a team effort, but but. Kale, BTC, has been kind of one of the, the the main developers for it. He got the idea a couple days after, um, not last year's Honey Badger, but uh, the, the Honey Badger before that. So oh, cool. he started okay. working on it then. And then the most recent Honey Badger was about exactly a year to the date. So I would say it's probably been like a, a year and some change, a year and a couple months. So it, it's very much like a, a a very young protocol. And it's picked up a
0: tremendous amount of steam since then. Got it and how do you what are some of the the use cases that you visualize or the type of um user obviously anyone can use it but the the type of use case where it's like this is really good to consider using something like e-nuts or just cashew and and when i say e-nuts folks that's the 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 app like think of that that's like the wallet in this instance Mm -hmm. that utilizes cashew um so what are kind of the ideal use cases for for cash if someone's like, okay, let me let me play around with e-nuts, but like what what's what's the main difference there between using like a lightning wallet I'm really comfortable with or you know a a custodial lightning wallet, even you know yeah. things like that.
1: So one of the I, I think the the biggest benefit that's absolutely immediately is uh privacy. So with any custodial wallet, the in order for a custodial wallet to to work is that it has to have a concept of an account. It has mm-hmm. to have an idea of who you are as a user uh who you are transacting with, you know, how much you are transacting with, it has to kind of see all that. So with uh with Kashu, with enuts all that can be uh basically obliterated by introducing the concept of a mint. And for, for the the reasons that I mentioned earlier, the the mint has no no insight into accounts, who you're transacting with, what your balance is. Uh, so if any custodial, the way I look at it is that any custodial wallet, any uh lightning Wallet that exists right now that is Custodial, it can be exponentially improved in terms of privacy by implementing uh, Cashew mm. on, on it. So that is like one kind of major uh, area that I see that this this can work uh, immediately right away. Uh, that's probably like my, my my biggest one. And the another one is uh, in order to onboard people with uh, with zero fees. Um, mm. So if you want to get someone to experience uh, Bitcoin kind of immediately, you can have them download cashew, send it to them right away and you won't have to worry about a uh, a channel opening uh in in the case of of lightning or in the case of non-custodial lightning i should say or or um you know waiting 10 minutes for a confirmation
0: in the case of on-chain and then paying on-chain fees got it and do you know uh we didn't touch on this beforehand but there's been a lot of conversations recently about liquid as well like liquid was around for a little while and then it, it wasn't and then high fee environment people are kind of looking to other solutions again um So we don't have to discuss it if you're like, ah, that's not really you know my my area or focus. But I'm I'm curious if because some folks will say, okay, well, what's the obviously there's a difference between Liquid and and Cashew and something using something like E Nuts and using these mints. So for folks that would compare, because a lot of folks only know Bitcoin and Lightning, then they hear other things like Liquid and Cashew. They might say, okay, well, I'm kind of using Liquid for that. Would you be able to speak on kind of differentiating? between the, those things because there are some pretty large differences there
1: yeah i i'm always hesitant to speak on, on other projects especially projects that i'm just not too kind of well versed on uh with liquid my understanding is that uh it's not uh an exact l2 but it's more uh, like a sidechain and there's a federation mm-hmm. that it, that is involved with pegging in and out exchanging liquid btc to btc uh, but I, I I'm sorry I can't speak too too much about it just because i it's it's kind of outside of my area of expertise i I've barely used it I downloaded aqua wallet yesterday and i yeah I, I, I did, too. did a receive <laughs> and and that's kind of the, the extent but I haven't yeah. looked a lot under the hood
0: yeah i i I feel the same way and I, I know BTC sessions has been posting about it which is which is helpful so i'll I'll continue just kind of looking into it but i you know I, i'm I'm more comfortable with the understanding of cashew lightning bitcoin that's that still feels like Mm -hmm. the bitcoin sphere to me once we get into liquid things feel a little bit shady is the wrong word and i don't want to imply that there's like shady things going on with it but yeah it feels like an outside of bitcoin project that's trying to engage with with bitcoin and and connect there and you know for a while it, it didn't I know there are a lot of people that I really respect that is like this, you know, liquid is not a a solution. Again, that's that's my personal opinion. I also haven't mm-hmm. played with it too much, so I shouldn't speak too much on it. But um, are there folks that that you've you've heard from or kind of seen that are like, oh, well using cashew or I, I haven't seen this too much myself, but I can I can imagine some folks as they're listening are like, oh, that's a shit coin. You're just creating like, what are you talking about? Creating this this coin or mint or someone maybe who's hearing for this mm-hmm. for the first time. You know, how would you respond to people when they think about cashew? Within the the Bitcoin ecosystem and how that works and who might be like skeptical of of what you're saying.
1: Yeah, I I would say it's no more or no less of a shitcoin than any uh custodial wallet, lightning custodial wallet to lightning custodial wallet transaction. Mm. Uh, it's it, it's the 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 same risk model is there, which is that the the central server, the mint in this case, can can rug. They can run off with your funds. Um, but the, we have the, 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 privacy benefits. So if somebody feels like it's, it's a shit coin, what I hear most often is that it's not real Bitcoin. Um, yeah, because yeah, that's a better way to say it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you, you don't ha- have your private keys. Uh, and I think that's true. Um, it's, it, it's, it's, it's a layer, it's a layer two custodial solution. And, uh, you know, we're, we're very clear about that, that, that that's, if you don't, B- believe or you aren't interested in 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 scaling Bitcoin in by using custodial solutions, uh then uh enuts cashew uh is is probably not going to be a solution that you're too excited for.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that 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 makes a lot of sense. Um and, and you know the one the one thing I'd say I think there's so many use cases like the the one I think of too is like integration with Noster, right? Like nostr like yeah. thinking about it this kind of walled garden approach and then exchanging uh the, these kind of like again going into the casino. And again, the casino analogy, I'm like, oh, great. Thank people are thinking casino gambling. Oh, but God, but, yeah, if, I didn't but think in terms that. of like entering in, you know, sometimes I also um, have thought about it as in like an ATM, right? So when you're thinking of privacy perspective, like if mm-hmm. you withdraw cash from a Bank of America here in the US, ATM, you know, the bank can see, okay, you withdrew this amount from your, you know, whatever. Let's say, let's say someone's actually managed to, and it's even more difficult in this case because you're talking about lightning invoice. So that's kind of a, a bit harder to track. But let's say somehow they do. They identify, okay. You know, you create a lightning invoice, and you know, you've engaged with x x amount of sats into uh, the mint, into cashew, e nuts that kind of thing. Just like withdrawing cash from an ATM, you go and spend the cash. The bank doesn't know what you're spending cash on. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe if there's different seals and serial numbers on the cash bills, but let's say you know hypothetically they don't know. And then you deposit whatever cash back into, um, and okay, then they can engage again hypothetically. But with lightning, mm. that's even more difficult so if it's already really difficult with cash it's like imagining the privacy benefits of also going from on-chain to lightning okay that's already a privacy enhancement and then going into cashew um the the privacy is just astounding and that's one of the biggest problems facing bitcoin i see is um is privacy that's why people have played around with monero before that's why Mm -hmm. so many other projects had been um really up and running the past few years because they're like oh bitcoin's terrible for privacy um Without certain tools, right? Just just the protocol in general um, It is meant to be on-chain public ledger, and there's so many reasons for that. Um, but but on the on the point of privacy, you know, both of us coming from the left, um, and I'm not sure about in your context, but I, this is I think governments in general, but especially in, in the U.S. Um, obviously, we've heard a lot with you know Elizabeth Warren and, and Bitcoin and, and privacy and funding terrorism and this and that. But there's a general trend that you know many people many bitcoiners are really worried about just this erosion of of privacy over many many years integrated into law that kind of thing so in terms of privacy for for money exchanging value bitcoin cashew how do you view these things and the importance of privacy while also discussing to like a mainstream audience the importance of privacy not like a privacy you know in my bunker waiting for the end times right because i think that's what people too often associate with like, well, why do you need to be private so much? Why do you want to be anonymous? Mm -hmm. Why do you want to, you know, and people don't really understand the Cypherpuck manifesto and and privacy and, um, you know, your ability to reveal to the world what you would like, like privacy is not secrecy. You know, how do you, how do you talk to people? Whether it's just like normal everyday people, uh, about privacy or thinking about, because I'm trying to figure out what I'm trying to say. Rambling here is you know, connecting privacy to like the mainstream world and letting them know why it's so important and why it's not this like secret cultish thing that we're we're on about. Yeah, this is kind of a, especially
1: something that kind of comes up in my day to day because uh, I live in Sweden and it, it, in mm. Sweden, uh, you know, it, it, it's a fairly uh, it's a fairly democratic society. It has you know functioning judicial institutions and, uh, it, but also there's kind of a lack of privacy in Sweden where. They have a law where you can just Google someone's name and you can see their address. You can pull their tax yeah. return. So it's a very transparent and open society, and they kind of have right. this idea where you should be able to do that in order to to basically discourage corruption, right? You should be transparent and open. Mm. So when I talk about transparency with money uh, in this kind of society, I, I get a side eye. I, I get a look as to why, and mm. I, I often think about um, okay, so who? What what is their their perception? So. These are individuals who grew up in a very high trust society. They live, like I said, in a in a country with a very functioning legal system, mm-hmm. uh, where, where they have, you know, property rights and privacy rights. And for the most part, uh, these things work for them. So they they might have a certain understanding of, hey, you know, why do you need that? But what I try to tell them is, you know, in 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 most of the rest of the world, this isn't the case, right? People don't have the the luxuries of having a a robust uh, system that defends their Th- their liberties and their 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 privacy like we we do in sweden uh so it it's kind of a different perception and i i think that one one piece that was helpful at least in the United states was uh the snowden revelation so like a mm-hmm. lot of people they they use that to understand okay this is the power that you know this is the level of data that you can uncover just by Someone's metadata, right? Just by uh, understanding, you know, what cell what cell towers they connected to, uh, and and things like that. Not not even eavesdropping on their conversation, but just like the metadata that they leave when they interact with uh, the web can build, you know, a, a very robust picture of who they are. And mm-hmm. a lot of people saw that, and then they understood, wow, like that, you know, that that's an issue because there are people just getting swept up on this. So I I think of privacy as as not when I try to communicate to them about like why privacy is valuable, the, 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 the my, my biggest example is I, I, I kind of give them examples about most of the rest of the world, you know, like if you meet an activist in Bahrain, for example, uh, they might have their bank account frozen and they need the ability to to transact privately. Mm-hmm. So they'll, they'll kind of understand that, that that example in that context. I think when you just tell, when you just explain to people that there's a larger world out there that that doesn't operate under the same conditions that our countries operate. So, you know, you can imagine why privacy might be important in, in their cases. And that's kind of usually, I find that that message is usually a lot more well-received uh, rather than trying to um, argue why they need it, because in, in reality mm-hmm. they might not need it. They, they might not need private yeah. money or yeah, private yeah. transactions. PayPal and in you know Venmo or whatever that that probably works just fine for them, and mm-hmm. that's great. But for a lot of other people, they they do need it, and those aren't options.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's been my approach to, You know, there's uh from from my you know perspective in my circles, like there's kind of the left liberal things that I see on social media in terms of some of these things or gosh, even like Facebook neighborhood groups are such a thing <laughs> in, in my community. Just with, with different, one, one thing recently that happened was really funny. I won't give like too many specifics, but um, you know, one of the Facebook groups I was a part of decided to remove anonymous posting because they were like, if someone's posting anonymously, they have bad intentions, right? And, and obviously, mm-hmm. like I've been in the Bitcoin circle long enough that that's very normal to me now, but I'm reminded, oh yeah, like even someone being anonymous is like For some people, they're like, what are they, what are they up to? You know, that's kind of the first, and it only takes, you know, but when I talk with those same people in real life about what you just said, they're like, oh, okay. Like, so, so it's such like an echo chamber of like, you know, the classic left liberal approach on some things online, but then talking to that person in person about, okay, you might not need this, but this is, this is why this group of people or this person might need it. In general, that's usually my go-to: is that that human mm-hmm. rights angle, and then talking with them about, okay, we might not need it, but but they really do, and they're like, oh, I had no idea, because it's not the main narrative around any of these things, and I, I think that's super important to discuss. Yeah, for sure. Oh, um, speaking of, so uh, one of the things I'm curious about too, because I've I've connected with some, you know, Bitcoiners kind of in in your neck of the woods in, in Europe and Sweden. And I'm always very interested in terms of just the cultural aspect of, of where Bitcoin is. And it's been a little bit since I've uh, connected with someone on like the cultural temperature check of, of Bitcoin or these type of things in Sweden. So how do you, how do you find that amongst your, whether it's circle of friends, whether it's, whether it's people in Sweden in general, Of um, obviously we're so entrenched in just like you know U.S. politics here and politicization of everything, and I understand this happens a lot throughout Western Europe as well with with Bitcoin. I've heard numerous stories of Germany; things play out sometimes similarly with Bitcoin, especially environmentally. Um, but what's the what's the temperature right now on Bitcoin in, in your neck of the woods? Um, I would say, by default, it's usually treated
1: with uh, skepticism um, and usually a, a little bit of hostility. And mm-hmm. at least in Sweden, the the biggest uh, kind of point is the environmental point. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot of, you know, maybe that's in, in Sweden, more than other countries, Sweden really prides itself in being very environmentally forward, environmentally conscious. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, they, they see um, themselves as a, a country that takes great pride in, in their, you know, efforts to, to you know, help the environment in, in various ways. So, you know, that that FUD, that kind of attack vector... Um, is, is, is very sticky here. Uh, in, in in Sweden. This is definitely the
0: environmental one. This episode of the Progressive Bitcoiner is brought to you by Zeus. Zeus is a self-custodial Bitcoin wallet for Android and iOS. The app features a built-in Lightning node that allows you to take full control of how you make payments on-chain and on Lightning. You can easily onboard to the Lightning network and let Zeus's Lightning service provider, Olympus, do all the heavy lifting for you. Or you can get more hands-on and curate your own Lightning channels with whoever you transact with most. Zeus has best-in-class privacy and allows you to have great peace of mind when sending and receiving Lightning. Lightning payments. Not only does the Zeus team not want to know how you're using your money, but they're building things in a way that they can't know. There's also a first of its kind Lightning address that will allow you to receive payments 24-7 to your mobile wallet self-custodially. This is a great solution for a range of people, for those who just want to have the technical ability to set up their own infrastructure, to nomads and dissidents that need to accept donations on the move. Other Lightning wallets don't give the users this level of control. In fact, many of them operate more like bank accounts that can be revoked and ultimately lead to you losing your money. With Zeus, you're in full control of your private keys and therefore can start to take full control of your financial destiny. To learn more and to learn where to download, head to ZeusLN.com. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And I mean, that, that's the same here. Like I, I was literally just talking with a, a co-worker in the nonprofit I work out. And, you know, I'm in Boston area, Massachusetts, very liberal, very climate forward, um, always engage with circles from the left. That's why when so many Bitcoiners say something, I'm like, okay, but I know how that's going to be perceived or, or read or interpreted. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, the two things they, they mentioned that came up over Christmas was literally the criminals line and the environment. So I think those two are, are still the the main sticking points, um, which is good in my mind in that there aren't others that are coming up, at least not yet. Um <laughs> But the the environment one is is getting harder and harder to to support and and impact. Um I don't even know if it's it's Sweden or Norway. Maybe this doesn't help the cause, but I understand there's some more Bitcoin mining operations that are popping up in some of these like energy rich uh nations, especially with renewable. So again, I don't know whether that will maybe it'll hurt in the short term, but help in the long term if people start, you know, hearing about, you know, Bitcoin mining operations expanding to their neck of the woods and things like that. Um but you know, I'm hoping over time that FUD kind of is slipping away in the general public because more people that are not Bitcoiners are talking about it in different in different ways, different journalists. Um, in different yeah, it feels like it. Yeah. Yeah, which is very exciting. And I know there's there's been Bitcoiners. I mean, Daniel Batten's been huge in this um, mm-hmm. pushing those different narrative changes um, for sure, which has been which has been really helpful. Um, one one thing I wanted to ask, too, before we I always forget to do this with some Newer guests as well <clears throat> before we get too much further into the conversation is your own journey with with bitcoin like for you you know i I want to hear a little bit more I'd be curious to hear a little bit more about you know your own journey into into Bitcoin, where you're always kind of looking into these type of things like cypherpunk things you know where it, especially kind of coinciding with your design background you know how did mm-hmm. how did those two things happen together for you well, my I've always been kind of a child of the internet. I I very mm. much grew up
1: online. I was, you know, posting on forums when I was 12, 13, and whatever the case may be. So um I I heard about Bitcoin. This was probably like a, a little bit after I graduated high school. Um, and I I kind of just just dismissed it, or right? I didn't even think about it, right? It's just the yeah. guy you read about and then you just kind of moved on about your day. It just it was like, okay, whatever. Um, I did have one my first touch point with Bitcoin um, was through a friend of mine who, um, th- they wanted to buy uh 2CI, which was like a kind of like a research chemical mm-hmm. on, <laughs> on the dark net. And I don't even know if it was Silk Road or or, or what the site was, yep. but, but he, he had been doing all the research and he, he bought like a, a net book, which was like, I don't know if you remember those, like a small little laptops that you could yes. buy, like a, a Best Buy for like a couple hundred bucks back then. And they were like super tiny and not very powerful, but he bought that just to surf like the, the, the dark oh, web.
0: That's so and funny.
1: Yeah and he wanted to buy like like 2 CI and he he started talking to me about it. He's like, "Yeah, so I found this site." He's like, "But but they 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 have to take Bitcoin." He goes in, "You know, I've been doing research." He's like, "And I found this way that we can get it. Uh we have to mail a money order to some guy that he oh, found yeah. online." <laughs> so like we went to 7-Eleven, uh we got a money order and we just mailed it off. And then just I think wait. he was using yeah it was just like how do we know that this guy's legit he's like no don't worry he's like dude i've done research on him on the forums i've read his reviews this guy's legit he'll send it and then you know, you're know you just waiting and i i think he was using with hindsight i think it might have been like electrum or i don't know it was like some very mm-hmm. like gray gray wallet back like literally like gray gooey wallet back then but uh, eventually it worked uh the, the bitcoin came through yeah. uh and that was like my, my first interaction with it you know it took, took days but i was like oh my god this is amazing like Mm-hmm. You know, you, you you mailed off this money order and then you have like, you know, this 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 other money on, on this wallet. And then you can, and then, you know, you're able to send it uh, through this website. And then, you know, th- then, you know, a couple weeks later, whatever the case may be, the, the 2CI appeared, uh, which is like this little research chemical and this little pills. Um, and that was like my first kind of like touch point with Bitcoin, but I, I didn't appreciate it at all. I, mm-hmm. I didn't think about like, how does that work? Why is that valuable? Like, how is it that you know this money could be used kind of for this purpose? What properties does this does this technology have that these people would want it, or why would they want to use it? None of that even crossed my mind at all. Mm-hmm. And for years, I didn't think about it again. It was yeah. just kind of a, a silly little thing that we did, and and it wasn't until much much later. I, I think it might have been uh, a little bit after Trump got elected. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I, I read, I don't even remember where I read this, but I read this article about like a uh, uh, Venezuelan Bitcoin miners. I think that that their miners got seized, but mm-hmm. the the individuals that were running the mining operation, they were able to to flee or leave the country with the Bitcoin. And I remember coming back, coming back so I was like, oh yeah, yeah, I remember Bitcoin. I had that, that one experience with it years ago. And I was like, how is that still a thing? And I was thinking like, I was like, "What do you mean they they took the miners, but they were able to keep the Bitcoin?" I had no understanding of how this worked, and I at this time I maybe I was a little bit older, and I was thinking like, "Well, how does that work? That sounds really fascinating and interesting mm-hmm. to me. How can like a government come take your miners, your computers, and you still have the money?" You know, in my mind, the the the, the money just existed on the miners. I, I knew nothing, uh, and then I started reading about it a little bit more, and you know. Um, And, and from there, you know, uh, this was probably around 2017, 2018 from there, there was like already a lot of content out on online and, and, you know, a lot of resources. So it it really just kind of sent me down the rabbit hole. And then I started reading about, you know, like the cypherpunk mailing list and uh, David Chom and Timothy May and all Mm -hmm. this stuff. And I started, I had already kind of left leaning kind of, uh, you know, uh, political views because I was very sympathetic to Occupy Wall Street and mm-hmm. and, and kind of things like that and I, I realized that oh the, the, all this kind of I- intersects it's very similar like this is um, Bitcoin is an is an opt out it's a protest against the status quo it's a protest against the the system of money right uh, of, of fiat money that that is used uh, you know to to manipulate and control and I was like this is you know really incredible uh, so that's kind of how I, I just got further and further down along um and as a designer i i've always been designing websites and i got into ux um just it just seemed like the natural evolution from designing websites you 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 go into ux design uh and then i just realized that wow like this the experience of using bitcoin seems like it's really really kind of not great it's not intuitive mm-hmm. i struggle I, I trip, I I fumble all the time when trying to do things. And that led me to think, hey, I'm I'm someone that can help. Like I, I spent a lot of time, you know, designing interfaces for other things, not necessarily Bitcoin related, but I know that I can help here. So I just started getting involved on uh, on GitHub, looking at some projects that I thought were cool, some node management projects, some wallets, and just started, you know, give, giving um, insight on issues, opening issues, you know, giving design suggestions and kind of led me to where I am now.
0: That's awesome. Did you have any like, I mean, it doesn't matter as much anymore, especially, but like formal training? Did you, you know, go go to school for different design stuff, or was this a lot of like self-taught playing around and stuff?
1: Yeah, I did go to school for design, but it wasn't very useful for kind of the day-to-day stuff that I use now because mm. it, it was more of a um, of a visual design program and. Um, most of what I learned when it comes to kind of UX design, user interface design and user experience design, most of that came from online, from, from YouTube, from reading books. Uh, a lot of it came from following tutorials. And when it came to designing for Bitcoin, well, there's no guide for that really. You just have to, it's, it's the, the wild west. You just have to download these apps, uh, get wrecked, uh, lose things, become frustrated by why these things aren't working. Um, and then realize like, yeah, we can, we, we can make these things better. And part of what I was doing at the time was I was looking at a, 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 other chains like like Ethereum and stuff, and I was just not because I was interested in their technology, but just because I wanted to see their UX. And I realized that wow, the, these guys are are a, a bit ahead in terms of design and user experience. Some of these like Web three and like you know Ethereum type projects, like they seem to have culturally placed more of an emphasis on design, and using their their wallets and their products is much more pleasant. And I, that that kind of really lit a fire all, all under me. I was like, you know, we need to step it up on Bitcoin. Like mm-hmm. we can't like fall behind in, in terms of design and usability.
0: Yeah, I, I completely agree. And it's funny, it, it's a little bit different. But when I was talking with uh, Laura Enrique recently from the Bitcoin Explorers, they were talking about in their travels, um, they've seen like crypto everywhere around the world. It's just even crypto advertising and marketing and just the way they engage with people like culturally trying to stay culturally relevant bitcoin is starting to get a little bit better with that i think um i think you know especially i think cash app and things like that getting a little bit more and again re- re- this is a separate conversation from like the actual products and, and things like that but more just like trying to engage culturally with people trying to engage with like use cases uh, you know like bitkey like a hardware wallet recently coming out from yeah from love it. Uh, cash app um you know, um, I, did you actually get it, or I think I saw a post recently that you were like, I don't know if I'm going to order it because it seemed like it was such a headache to try to get it there in terms of cost. No, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the shipping to to Europe, I, I forgot, it was like eighty bucks or something. Yeah, like, oh oh, yeah, gosh. no, yeah. Come <laughs> on, Jack, just send them one. Yeah, um, but but anyway, just you know, there there's some other products and and you know, lightning wallets and things like this that, and obviously, I think E nuts is like beautiful. Like I love when it when an app just is like simple. And works, and I mean, e- even on the the, the service, nuts is like this is yeah, this is beta software. Like everything's everything's mm-hmm. clear about what it is, you know. Um, so things are getting better there. But again, I think it's because most of the people that up to this date have been working on Bitcoin are really fundamentally like cypherpunk coders, like historically yeah. throughout the movement. So that that is their focus about like, you know, code and purity, and that's been the approach. Whereas, you know, I think too. I'm curious your thoughts on this, if you have any perspective, I, I think just in terms of funding as well, and those kind of icky subjects that Bitcoiners, well, especially folks on the left don't like to talk about money in general. So that's kind of a hard, mm. <laughs> um, you know, overlap for people in general talking about money and wealth. But Bitcoin developers in general, like fundraising, like crypto projects have been killing it with with fundraising and capital and Web3 and all of these different names and things they spin up, especially during bull markets to get massive amounts of, of money and, and funding from folks. Whereas Bitcoin projects have struggled with that. Um, you know, some people have found Bitcoin to be boring. So we're going to move on to this project and this. And, oh, this one's faster. This one does this. This one does that. And, um, you know, sure enough, 95% of them fail. But what what are your perspective on, you know, the path forward for Bitcoin developers, designers, things like that um, in this type of environment?
1: Yeah, I think I, I touched on it earlier when I said that Bitcoin's still like very, very young uh piece of technology so it doesn't have a lot of like design literacy but i think another part of it is also something that you hinted at that it's a engineering first culture Mm -hmm. Uh, bitcoin is very much uh a a a culture or project where the idea is to build something that works that is that is secure and that has gone through you know very very intensive levels of scrutiny it's almost like nasa's engineering process you spend you know 9,000 hours to whatever, whatever the number is to make sure that this, you know, piece of code works from an engineering point of view. And that is the focus. And there's less of a focus on what does that translate or what does that mean for the person that's actually using it? That's often an afterthought. It's often, mm-hmm. does it work? Is it bug free? Is it sound code? And when you have this kind of just engineering kind of mindset, the, the user experience kind of becomes secondary. Or sometimes it just becomes thrown in after the fact, uh, and I think uh, a part of what what I try to do in in all of the design work is I try to kind of meet uh, people, everyday users, kind of where they're at, and in terms of what is their current experience of sending money, uh, you know, whether it be through PayPal, through Venmo, through uh, you know, uh, through their own bank, through Zelle, like, what is that experience? Like, what are they already familiar with and how can we take some of those existing conventions and try to make the experience of, uh, transacting with Bitcoin similar to that in terms mm-hmm. of following the conventions, in terms of following the flow, because they shouldn't have to learn an entirely new language or an entirely new way to interact with money or with their phone in order to use Bitcoin. And I'm very kind of a huge proponent of that, is that we need to eliminate this technical barrier to entry, eliminate the jargon, uh, eliminate um, all these different things that um, are in the way that make Bitcoin as easy to use as uh, PayPal or as, as Venmo. Mm-hmm. The experience should be similar. When you send it, it works uh, you don't have to understand the technicalities of how it works on, on, under the hood. You can, of course, if you want to, but you shouldn't have to in order to use it. Yeah. And it should and it should be also something I try to do is like, it should feel like a, a, a little bit magical. I, I really try to, when I design something, make it so that it has a little bit of a feeling that gets someone excited. Mm-hmm. Like when they first interact with it or when they first use it, if you've ever unboxed something or if you ever, you know, use an app for the first time, it had a little bit of something special that kind of made you... Put your head back and smile, and go. Like, oh, that's cool! Mm-hmm. Like those those little micro interactions to me are are w- what really kind of go a long way, and that's something I I,
0: I kind of emphasize in in my, in my design practice. Yeah, it should be it it, it should be and can be fun. Like bu- building that into it, I think that's one thing with uh, different Bitcoin products that I like to see, or even Noster mm-hmm. products, and just you know different things that are uh, you know understanding it's so new. So building in this kind of fun element to that, right? Um, and one day it might and hopefully will just be boring old money I, I have that conversation a lot with people that yeah. one day that's just how it will be considered um, but initially getting people excited about that and I, I do I, I constantly go back and forth and doing this show is really interesting because I think in, in general there's so many different types of things we like to talk about and different topics that can be talked about uh, about Bitcoin and beyond and especially the types of things we like to talk about um, but sometimes I'll kind of be thinking out loud on the show or thinking probably a couple months later, I might be like, oh, I feel differently on that. And that, that's okay. Like people can go back and mm-hmm. I'll, I'll. if people say you said this, then I'm like, okay, I'll correct it. You know, I'm not trying to, um, you know, promote like scams or anything like that. But just in terms of viewpoints and constantly I go back and forth. Like sometimes I'm in the mode of like Bitcoin and Bitcoin products need to be as easy to use as like Venmo or else just like it's not worth it. Then other times I'll take a step back and I'm like, well, you know, for it to be self-sovereign and people to hold their own keys and that there is a bit more hardware. So I think that's most important for people to feel that they securely own their Bitcoin. And if the product is a little bit slower because of that, so be it. And obviously, I think there's probably a happy medium that we need yeah. to get to. Um, but but how do you think about those? Do you view it as like a trade-off? Do you view it as, okay, we need to lean more towards uh, ease of use for for all of these products? Because um, I, I really have a tough time with that sometimes. And I constantly go back and forth when. Using yeah. Playing around with products myself as like a non-technical person, that's kind of a, a tiny bit more technical, but I constantly go back and forth when thinking about, you know, I think even, you know, the potential upcoming bull run and things like that. It's like, okay, what type of product should we focus on or are the things that should be really important to, to newbies and conveying that? Is it so important to convey all of the principles of what's going on under the hood or what Bitcoin is, or is it more important to convey ease of use, get them excited, and then they'll learn later on? I think it's important to have a
1: a wide variety of tools that have made different sets of trade-offs and Bitcoin designing and building for Bitcoin, I think is probably the biggest game of trade-offs imaginable. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just like the nature of the protocol. So almost every decision that you can make that will impact uh, the the, the experience or the functionality of whatever tool you're building will involve some type of trade-off. If you want to have, you know, speed, you might have to sacrifice some decentralization. Mm-hmm. If you want to have, you know, your privacy, you might have to sacrifice. If you want to have security, you might have to sacrifice, you know, a little bit of this. Or so it, it's almost always this this game of trade offs. And I think that different wallets can make different sets of trade offs, and then build a tool that will appeal to a certain user. Um, in my mind, I, I believe ultimately the the experience that users are going to want is going to be one where they don't have to think about the tool that they're using and it just works. Mm-hmm. So what sets of trade-offs do we need to make, in, need to be made in order uh, to optimize for a tool like that? It's a very complicated question. It probably depends on, uh, you know, where we're at in terms of design, in terms of the protocol, uh, in terms of, you know, a- any updates? Is you know, CTV going to be here? So there's a lot of stuff that kind of plays into that equation. Um, but ultimately, I-, I think that as long as we live in a world where designers are thinking about different tools and different trade offs, and they're building uh, with that in mind, um, we're, we're going to be in a in-, in a much stronger place for for mass adoption.
0: Yeah, and I've definitely seen that more just. Well, I mean, being inside, you know, Bitcoin, Twitter and all this stuff, which is very small, a very microcosm, as we were talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing I think that has excited me more, I've, I've seen less and less. I mean, companies will still say, OK, we're creating the best Bitcoin wallet for users. We're creating the best lightning wallet, whatever. But in general, I've seen more and more wallets and developers and things being developed on Bitcoin. And then more of these developers are folks saying, OK, for this, this is the best for this use case. Or this is the best for me because I prioritize X, Y, Z. So taking that approach I think is really valuable where it's like letting people choose. Everyone has different use cases. Some people are just going to hold Bitcoin and just it is their, it is their savings account. They don't really spend because well, in the US it's really hard to spend Bitcoin, right? You're supposed to tax yeah. every transaction. It's, it's very difficult and frustrating uh, to do that. Other places don't have that, that jurisdictional um, you know, taxation and things like that. So people are regularly spending you know, and, and things like that. Um, other people are... Uh, Came into Bitcoin through Nostr, and they're using like Albi Wallet, like connected to their browser, and they just—that's—that's the only way they spend Bitcoin. Um, So focusing on what is the user needing and and how are they going to use it, rather than we're going to make an all-encompassing thing that uh, there's there's no trade-offs or it's 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 universally fit. Well, Bitcoin is it's universally accessible, but there are so many different use cases with it. It's not mm-hmm. as simple as this is the Bitcoin wallet. And, and I think that's the way developing needs to go, which is really exciting.
1: Yeah, 100% agree with that is that we have to keep in mind that the way that we use Bitcoin uh, based on your region, uh, where you are in the world is going to be very, very
0: different than the way that other people use it and the things that they find valuable. Yeah, for sure. Now, uh, I'm wondering We had touched on this just before recording. You know, you said you've been in Bitcoin from like 2017, 2018 or so, probably jumping down the rabbit hole a little bit more. Uh, I like to touch on this with folks that have been in Bitcoin prior to 2019, 2020. For you, one of the things I know you and I both like to think about is just kind of culturally where Bitcoin is at, kind of getting out the message that, you know, Bitcoin needs to be separate from folks' individual political views, religious Mm -hmm. views, you know, diets, whatever. Um, not that folks can't believe that, but that is not what Bitcoin is about. Like Bitcoin is this neutral, um, technology accessible for everyone. For you being in Bitcoin since then through now, how do you feel, where do you feel like the culture is at now? I've talked to with many people that, you know, suggested, um, of course, I think a lot of the Bitcoin core developers early on were a bit more libertarian bent as well. Um, depending on where they're coming from, but I think it got much more political right around COVID as most of the world did, I think, in yeah. a lot of ways. Now it might be coming back down a little bit. Um, you know, Some of the people that I think were here just for clickbait, eh, they're still around, but many of them have just left um, that I've experienced. Um, shows people's true colors, I think. But where do you feel kind of culturally Bitcoin is at? And you know, do you have hope moving forward that it's building to more of a, it's not such a barrier anymore? or where do you still see that being a barrier for people
1: Yeah I think um with kind of the covid wave and the covid class and just that that kind of temperature as the the tent of bitcoin or as the amount of people that were you know using it or interested in it or started adopting it as that grew you see an influx of people with different political ideologies also come and I think this is this happens across not just bitcoin but across a lot of other movements or mm-hmm. uh, uh, other political movements. As the movement gets bigger, different people come with their own perceptions, their own worldview, uh, and they sometimes try to inject their worldview or their you know uh, ideology into the movement or into the tool, Bitcoin in this case. And I think that's kind of what what we saw um, with uh, in the last couple of years. There's kind of been this, uh, at least on Bitcoin Twitter, which is just one very, very small uh, subsect Mm-hmm. of of bitcoin users of w- w- where they're located and where they communicate uh people with a uh- a very certain overlapping ideology tended to coalesce on that platform, and they had a lot of very similar opinions and ideologies that had absolutely nothing at all to do with Bitcoin, but that were being shared constantly in parallel with Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Things like, oh, you should, um, you know, be a carnivore, or you know, it's 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 absolutely important for you to homeschool your kids and you know uh, avoid the vaccine and all this stuff that has absolutely just, just nothing to do with Bitcoin at all and i don't think that that is particularly helpful to having to making bitcoin the most useful and the reason i say that is because i think bitcoin is most useful if more people use it the more mm-hmm. people that use and adopt bitcoin the more useful as a tool that it is for everyone and when you inject you know a personal ideology onto the tool, onto the protocol, what that serves is to alienate a bunch of other people who don't share that ideology. So I find it incredibly, uh, just totally un- unuseful. And I'm not to say that those people can't have their, their conversations or they all can't agree on their ideologies, but to try to intertwine that with Bitcoin is just very, very misguided to me. Mm-hmm. To say that you know Bitcoin is a uh, libertarian, Austrian economic project. That's mm-hmm. that. That's just insanity. Bitcoin is just money. It's just a. Uh, it's an alternative to fiat money, that works, right? It's a neutral form of money, and I think that going forward is that we're going to see that as kind of more people come, as this tent gets bigger, we're going to see even more kind of uh, different ideologies come in, and eventually we'll start just seeing. Neutral ideologies, or people that are just—I hope that we get to the point where Bitcoin is just recognized as a tool, just as another form of money that mm-hmm. doesn't have any type of—you don't have to have a political bent, or it doesn't mean that people that use it have this type of political viewpoint or slant yeah. uh, that that uh, can be associated that somebody could uh, misinterpret, or you know, by you know, going on searching the hashtag, you know, Bitcoin on Twitter, for example.
0: Hi, everyone. Hope you're enjoying the episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Bitbox. Now, Bitbox is a hardware wallet that's open source, incredibly secure and easy to use. And it's what I'm using to safely secure my Bitcoin in cold storage. Now, I know self-custodying Bitcoin can really be intimidating, but Bitbox is designed for ease of use without compromising on security. It's USB-C compatible and allows you to easily backup and restore your private keys with a micro SD card, which is really cool. Now you can purchase the Bitbox using the promo code TPB at the link found in the show notes for 5% off your purchase. And I really want to thank Bitbox for their support of the podcast. And I'm really excited about this new partnership. All right. I'll let you get back to the episode now. Yeah. And I, I hope it's like the internet in the sense of like, okay, nowadays people don't think of the internet as like being used by a a certain political group, maybe certain websites or certain different, Mm -hmm. different things, right. Um, different aspects of that, but that, that would be the the goal, and I, I as you were saying, like in, inject their viewpoint. I just kept imagining like someone literally injecting that into like each block. <laughs> like I had like this <laughs> visual of that, which I hadn't had before, which is really funny. And I was like, oh, that's that's funny to think about. Um, yeah, I mean, I I think it's it's so important, and yeah, it, because it, when I first uh, started being more vocal in the Bitcoin space and figuring out I wanted to contribute more, and just started writing more and connecting with people. One of the first things I got um, early on, it's been less and less, as I think people have seen, okay, we want Bitcoin to succeed. So we need all these different voices, was like, oh, you're trying to make Bitcoin political, right? And obviously the name of this podcast, some of it is a bit of like marketing because of the FUD and the left approach. Like, okay, progressive Bitcoiner, huh, how is that going to work out? But eventually, hopefully we won't really even need the name anymore, right? Like the, the two, it's not even a, a concept of, okay, yeah, you can be from the left or whatever and, and mm-hmm. in Bitcoin. Um, and I still feel conflicted about it to this this day uh, because of so many things. But, um, uh, you know, early on, people were like, you're making Bitcoin political by saying progressive Bitcoin and this and that. And it's like, well, it's because there's such a, a, a loud, overwhelming majority of the um, content on Bitcoin is right-leaning libertarian in the U.S., whether it's podcasts, um, yeah. writing, Twitter, things like that. That's been growing less and less, which is really good um, in general. Not because those people shouldn't have those platforms if they want it in an audience, but because people will start not associating Bitcoin so much, just like you said, with a certain political ideology. And I I think that's that's the goal. So I always get a kick when they're like, you're making it political. I'm like, well, I'm only infusing that because it's been so overwhelmingly one political uh, group so loud that for better or for worse, because I tell people I'm engaging with the real world, for better or for worse, I've had so many people say, oh, it's just for crypto bros or oh ted cruz or these politicians yeah. these right-wing uh, politicians you know like bitcoin or oh my gosh it's just for like carnivores or whatever like if someone someone can just see something about bitcoin for an instance and be turned off for a year two years until they come back around they're like oh it's still around kind of like the the yeah. thing that you had like people will come back around i think whether it's just it's a part of life or um because they're interested but We can't dismiss that some people are just turned off that they should learn about it, you know, and not say, okay, if someone, someone you may not like, will use Bitcoin for sure. Um, That that's not the point. But a lot of people get turned off by that. Um, Is that is that something that you think a lot about in terms of the Bitcoin ecosystem? Um, I was able to push through, but I think it's because I I come from that background. Like a lot of my family is kind of conservative, right leaning, so I was able to like understand and push through some of that and see why people were thinking that way, but. Uh, it's still a, a concern of mine to this day when talking about Bitcoin.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it is somewhat of a concern of mine. I, I try not to like get super, or, or I don't immediately let a lot of my close friends know that I'm involved uh, with Bitcoin. Partly because, or not not close friends, but like people that I that I meet, yeah, yeah. Uh, kind of immediately because I I fear that there is that connotation that oh you're you're involved with uh, with, with Bitcoin that that's like for those like anti-government, you know, like Mm -hmm. super privacy, like conspiracy theory, like internet types. Um, and it's a part of it is also like, I I don't want that stigma. And I think like shows like this is doing a good job to, to, um, show that, Hey, there's a different side of Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. There, there are other people that use it that, you know, aren't, you know, uh, that don't only hold those political opinions. And for a while, like um, on, on Twitter, there was a point a couple of years ago where like, if there was like a, a, someone that's like, qu- you know, left wing or progressive on like a popular uh, Bitcoin podcast, they would get just like hounded in the comments. Like, yeah, yeah. this person's a Marxist. How dare you have a a, a, a communist on, on your show? And just like, I'm just like, if my like, you know, everyday friends just logged on and they they just see this, like, they're going to be so turned off by this 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 movement, this technology, this this community. They're not going to want to associate with it. So the way I navigated it was just I just didn't care. I mean, I I just mm-hmm. I have my own views, um, and I'm I don't. I understand why uh, there are a lot of people with those kind of views in Bitcoin. I understand why th- they they can kind of see how it maps with their ideology, um, and I have no problem with it. But I, it, it just struck me as like it's not something that that was going to change like my views or my political compass. I've always believed in the things that I believed in, um, you know. And that's not to say that I I dogmatically believe them and I won't change them at all mm-hmm. with, without, you know, if. Think if my if evidence is you know put in front of me or if things change but i i'm pretty strong in, in my convictions in the world that i live in and the things that i value and bitcoin hasn't you know changed that for me it 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 hasn't you know rad- radically changed my point of view on, on these things if anything it's it strengthened them it's shown mm-hmm. me that hey like you know th- th- this tool can be used to further those things that i believe in
0: yeah yeah i i feel the same way um is there anything that you you said it strengthened a lot of views. Was there anything that happened once you were kind of learning more about Bitcoin? And, and for me, just learning about like money and learning about, mm-hmm. um, you know, some of the practices in the U.S. with, you know, money printing, um, debt obligations, things like that, that I get very frustrated with my quote unquote political party on the on the left that. Um, I mean, both political parties aren't really concerned with debt, depending on who's in the in the White House in the U.S., right? It's like if it's their person, OK, they're not going to, you know, care that much. And they're like, okay, it's fine. But when it's the other candidate, they're like, ah, oh, the debt, you know. So everyone's like uh, hypocritical. Yeah, exactly. With it. But just understanding some of these things, okay, at some point, these things do really matter. Uh, you know, you know how how much do I want to, you know, speak out against that and things like that. But was there anything once you're learning more about Bitcoin that um, made you maybe question some of those assumptions more or view things a little differently?
1: Yeah, I think um, probably w- w- one of the big ones was uh, th- this the concept of of free speech, I think I, I previously mm. had a, uh, you know, here in Europe, it's it's compared to America, there are there are maybe more restrictions on that, uh, like yeah. just some some examples, um, in 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 Denmark or Sweden, I don't remember exactly which one, I, I think it was Sweden. Uh, it, it, there was a, a gentleman that was going around burning a Quran, uh, and mm-hmm. in, in order for him to to do this, he would have to file, um, he would have to get basically permission to to do this as, as a public act. Uh, and the government was kind of like, "Hey, we don't really want to infringe free speech, so we're going to let him do it." But then he kept doing it, and it kept kind of escalating. And then eventually, they started denying his his ability to do that. So, a, a part of me, maybe in the past, would have sided with the state. Think, okay, it's okay to deny, you know, someone a, a permit to do something that is uh, purposely inflammatory and. Uh, disrespectful and is trying to, you know, just stoke tension and hatred and, and whatever the case may be. But I think the more that I've I've been involved with Bitcoin and the more that I've seen um, how the, the reality of people in, uh, in in other countries, I've come to realize that, uh, you know, the. the Free speech matters, and you know it's important for this to be as unrestricted as possible. And if, for example, like in Germany, um, something that's very well known is that they have like Holocaust denial laws. You can't, you know, publicly deny it. And th- there's been kind of an issue where they started associating uh, pro-Palestinian uh, chants and pro-Palestinian protests in, in, in Germany as uh, anti-Semitic, and they've they've basically banned certain chants or certain types of speech, um, uh, kind of. In that movement. Mm-hmm. And that's really kind of forced me to look at like, hey, you know, a couple of years ago, I probably would have sided w- with the state that it's okay to restrict speech. But now that I'm kind of seeing the consequences, it's like it's freedom of speech for everyone or it's freedom of speech for nobody. And it, I would, you know, say I flipped and I, I, I disagree that, you know, the certain speech should be limited. I, I I think that it's important that, you know, one of the hallmarks of like classic. Liberalism, you know, is that you know we we are tolerant of people that want to speak, regardless of how abhorrent we find their views. Mm-hmm. And um, being involved in Bitcoin and seeing the importance of that, I would say that it's kind of changed my opinion. I, I'm hesitant to say it's pushed me to the right because I don't see that as a right wing position. That's yeah. a very classical, you know, liberal position to have. But it, it, it's you know, to some people in 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 the more like left leaning space. If I say these things, they might say, "Oh, he's like a a free speech kind of maximalist, like right winger Mm -hmm. rhetoric that he's espousing." So I would say that that's an area that that has kind of challenged me. Uh, Also, uh, economically, I mean, I've I've always kind of thought that, you know, in the past that like you know well. a very naive view I had when I was younger was, oh, the, the reason that we have so many problems in—in in, I'm from America, in America is just that the government just doesn't, you know, spend more money on on social services. Just that they, mm-hmm. they don't just tax more. If they only tax people more and you know they spend more money on on these things, you know, we, we would live in a better place. But once I learned more about economics, I learned about the reality of inflation. You realize that you know inflation hurts poor people a lot mm-hmm. more than it hurts rich people who already have assets you know, the, the, their assets are going to, there's a lot of asset inflation and the, their assets are going to rise. But if you're poor, you have no assets and the government just prints money, like you're going to get hurt the most by inflation. Yeah. And this it, kind of forced me to kind of reconsider that that very naive viewpoint I had. Those are maybe a couple ways.
0: Yeah, I, I think I'm really similar on that. Those are probably the big two for me, just coincidentally. I think, um, you know, what's funny. I think the free speech stuff here in the US, um, I mean, the, the world saw it as well, but a lot of it was, you know, with uh, Trump and Twitter, right? So mm-hmm. some of the folks that, you know, you know, people having different sides on, you know, should accounts be banned for certain things? Should, you know, the weight of who they are in the world prevent them from being banned? You know, the classic left take at the time was like, from from kind of mainstream left, whether it's journalists or, you know, politicians, whatever, saying, okay, well, it's a private company, so that's not infringing on free speech if Twitter wants to ban, which, you know, at the end of the day is is true why censorship resistant uh, protocols like Nostr, I think are really important. And at the time, I think I I kind of sided with that. And, and, and I did. Um, and people were trying to define you know, what defines hate speech or inciting violence. Like where, where's the line there with different things and um, the stuff we were seeing in the world on January 6th at the Capitol. You know, all of this uh, was very much so. But then I think my conviction month after month has only grown. One, I'm like us preventing free speech does not prevent those people from necessarily feeling that way, right? It's still like, let's air our yeah. dirty laundry, like, especially in the US. We never, ever do this in, in great ways. Um, whether it's honestly, and I i did a study abroad in South Africa in college forever ago. And, you know, something the US, I think, needs is to air its dirty laundry, kind of similar to what South Africa did with the uh, Peace and Reconciliation Council mm-hmm. and focusing on those things. We haven't aired our dirty laundry just about our history in so many ways. So we're very polite in that way. Um, we, I think we need to get things out in the open. Like we need to to see the ugly to head towards the light. Like as a society and figure out who we are. If we're preventing free speech, and it, it really bothers me when people say, "Oh, that's a right wing view" or something like that. It, it bothers the hell out of me. I'm like, that's that's freedom. Like a lot of the progressive values I hold, with people's mm-hmm. access to right to access to health care, with protections for gay people in the U.S., with all of these things. This is about promoting maximum freedom. And if the government can't enshrine this into law for folks, which I think is very, very progressive, then what are we even doing here? So so for me, I'm like, I hate when it's associated with a political party because I completely agree with you. It's not about moving more right. It's about, it's either for everyone, it's for no one. And that's kind of a founding principle of democracy, of liberal views, um, things like this, that the US is getting into some murky waters with, and, and the West as well, Europe especially. Yeah. Yeah,
1: 100%. I mean, I'm not like too kind of w- well-tuned into like the American stuff, but I, I've been reading a little bit about, you know, certain courts are like removing him from ballots and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. And a part of me is just like, this is a a very wrong way to go about things. Yeah. Uh, I- in my point of view, like if, if you want to have um, a, a robust democracy and like one that people feel that they can trust is that you don't want to make it overtly feel like somebody's being politically targeted. Yeah. And I, I I think that Maybe people kind of on the like I don't know what what you call call this group, but like the the the, the squad type. They used to be called progressives. Is, is yeah. that still what they're called in the U.S.? Like, but, it, yeah. but it's very different than like progressive in like um, in some other contexts. But like the, the, this certain like fire brand of. Yeah. of of left wing um yeah Yeah, in the u.s the larger
0: the larger group of about a hundred or so members of the house is the progressive caucus so that would be the far Mm. left group in the united states and the squad is kind of a smaller part of that progressive caucus so yeah it's kind of that that term is interchangeable um with them which is one of the reasons i get a little uh, about the word progressive because i know what people think and i have to add some nuance um and if everyone's being honest though everyone holds nuanced views and i think that's the important part is talking yeah, about sure. that because we don't all agree on everything as a progressive or a member of the left or a member of the right also none of that matters like every year that goes by i care less and less about that every month that goes by um but anyway as you were saying
1: not for sure um no i think i was just saying that i i think that um some of the arguments that I hear for for like you know it's kind of similar to what you brought up about like banning him from Twitter. It's just it, it doesn't seem like in like the long term health of of a country to be in the best interest. You're gonna piss off just a lot of people. You're gonna demoralize a lot of people. You're gonna make them feel like the system is is rigged against
0: them, and it's it's not gonna be helpful. Yeah, and it, it's I, I've been really 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 disappointed in terms of you know, the whole time with Trump, one of the biggest arguments was like, okay, we're in a fight for our democracy, right? The the amount of times the democratic establishment in the US, the political party, has said that, it just means less and less over time. Like, fight for our democracy, fight for our democracy. But then now you're doing things that are anti-democratic. Now, they could be things that people agree with or disagree with. That's someone's opinion, right? But maybe someone's like, oh yeah, I don't want Trump. So yeah, remove him from the ballots. That's great. Um, But at the end of the day, Trump still has not been convicted of those things or charged with insurrection. There's, there's different like laws that are not being adhered to, yeah, even exactly. if you're most loosely defining um, the law that they're trying to draw upon in terms of insurrectionists, which was based on the Civil War um, and a lot more extreme environments. It also doesn't apply to presidents. I'm not saying it should or shouldn't. I think in general, not enough is applied to presidents. I think many of our presidents should have been locked up and prison including George W Bush. Um, I think that is, uh, so it's not just about Trump, but if you're in a fight for democracy and then along the way you're being anti-democratic, you're trying to only prop up the current president because you're, you're too, you're afraid he's too weak to actually compete with other candidates. I'm sorry, that is not any progressive value or forget progressive mm-hmm. value. That's just not an American value. That's not anything that I think anyone would side with. Um, And they're in for a rude awakening in my opinion in terms of elections and um of course i the last thing on earth i would want is a trump presidency i do believe he's a a dangerous individual not like a dangerous for you know all of these things it's just in terms of like when trump was president um we saw a lot of extremists around the world um get kind of excited because they're like he's a loose cannon he's a wild cannon he's not going to hold us accountable we can we can do what we want to our populations like um, not that the u s should be a police state but there 's just a lot of unstableness that this man brings as an individual in one of the most important positions in the world um so yeah that 's something i 'm a little fearful of but uh you know Democrats engaging in the way they have in the u s and just the left in general going along with this it 's not democratic it's it 's crazy to me so it's it 's been hard for me to engage period with this because i 'm like everything in our political system is really messed up. That's probably why most of us find ourselves in in bitcoin in general, but um yeah, I'm not too optimistic <laughs> about yeah,
1: that. Yeah, 100% and another part of me that that that's bothered by it is that like this these kind of actions that, that the people are taking, it kind of further gives credence to this um this kind of rising school of thought that is very anti-democratic, anti-egalitarian. You're seeing it in Europe, you're seeing it in America. It's it's this this view that oh democracy has failed or like you know we we need we need to we need a strong man or mm-hmm. whatever the case may be when we you know weaken the institutions and and you know we play very loose with the laws and restricting candidates it adds fuel to their arguments right it does and it's kind of this like snake eating itself or this like fire that just keeps fueling itself
0: yeah yeah I felt the same way and one thing I try to do from from this platform or even just in conversations with folks from the left that I I know what they're they're thinking because I've thought similarly like you know the Canadian trucker protest was a really good example where mm-hmm. you know I might not agree with maybe some of their stances or some of their their views or political views and things like that but I kept saying like imagine if it was a cause you cared about like uh, exactly. imagine if they they if they can do it in that instance they can flip it and do it in another so we have to think about it and I would use the example of like okay, let's say in the U.S., they get so restrictive on abortion access. They get so restrictive on your access to uh, transitioning healthcare and things like this for for trans individuals. And, you know, the only way you could, you could raise funds to keep your operation going was through Bitcoin. And they just, like, they cut off your bank charters. They've cut off your organization's 501c3 status. They've done all of these things at a state and federal level in the U.S., which are kind of enshrined into law. So it's like, they can't. But if you're advocating for them to, you know, freeze bank accounts for those people why would they not do the same thing to you if your if your guy wasn't in office like we have to think that way because there's a good chance at this point as we stand today that trump could be president next time around um a year is a long time in 2024 and in politics so we'll see what happens but i'm really encouraging folks regardless of what your views are think about you know one of the things that bitcoin taught me is like you know don't trust, verify. And it's like, think about yeah. the process and systems. It's rules, not rulers. Think about those things. We should not base our way of life on if the person we like is in office. Like That's why I'm such a big believer in let's enshrine as much as we can into law, like basic protections and freedoms for people. And I happen to take the more progressive view that that it should include a lot of gay rights, healthcare rights, abortion access, all those things that folks might disagree with me on. Start there. We can't we can't get there yet. So that's that's the part I'm really frustrated about and concerned about.
1: Yeah, I think um part of what Bitcoin also did is uh it, it made me kind of think more about adversarial thinking. And the Canadian mm-hmm. trucker protest, I think, is a really good example where it, it became almost like um political, like yeah. if you were pro or against depending on your own political view. And that was very short sighted to me. One, because you can make the argument that it's kind of very left wing. These were literally the workers going into the Capitol yeah. and the union was demanding to speak to them so that they can have the same freedoms that we had here in Sweden and America, but because they were anti-vax or anti-COVID immediately it was, oh, they're, they're mm-hmm. right wing, not, not supporting it, yes. not, not into it. But for what you said, like, how sure are you that like, you know, they won't and they won't freeze the bank accounts of black lives matter activists yep. that are, you know, blocking the intersection in in front of the White House yep. and, and label them terrorists uh, uh, under that same pretense, right? Yep. So we need to think uh, like uh, in this kind of way, we can't be short-sighted. Yep.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, D.C. police, federal, actually it wasn't even, uh, I could be wrong about this, I think it was federal police because Washington, D.C. is such an interesting place where the, the city and local government really doesn't have that much power if the federal government wants to do something in terms of like police force or action. So even if D.C., which, especially at the time was very like politically left and still is in terms mm-hmm. of like mayor structure of the city population of DC. Um, there were black lives matter protesters and Trump wanted to go do a photo op like with the Bible in his hand. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, they were shooting cannons. They were just doing that ma- like massive, like pretty violent action against these protesters to get them off the street. I th- I don't think the DC police were a part of it. Maybe they were a little bit, but it's mostly a federal effort at the direction of, Trump in the White House um, mm-hmm. saying get these protesters out of here so I could take a photo op with like the Bible like I think it was like upside down or something too it was so yeah, funny yeah. it was just the that's the one thing I do like about him is the the photo ops of just his um, you know rendezvous on the streets like cracked me up but that, that's something that I'm like okay that like that is they shouldn't be able to do that period like we have to be ruled by founding principles and and laws and the more we go away from that even if it's for your cause gosh, that's going to flip so hard uh, oh, every yeah. election cycle. That's just how it goes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I worry about that a lot too. Just that like there, there's too much like my side versus their side and like we're, we're going to, you know, be as punitive as possible. Yeah. And if we're in power, you know, they're going to get the hammer. It's like it's only a matter of time. So this the swings back and hits you
0: in the face. Yeah. Well, the one thing, ending on a hopeful note here, the, the one thing I'm more hopeful about in general, I think, And this is aside from Bitcoin, but I think the rise of independent journalism, yes, there's been a lot of independent journalism for very right-wing folks, but the rise of independent journalism from folks that are detached from politics or folks that are left-leaning historically Mm -hmm. and haven't been able to say certain things is making people think more in really good ways. Um, I think a lot of my friends and progressive friends and folks from the left are really disengaged with politics. So in general, a lot of the progressives that I know are not like connected to the Democrat party or this party or that. They're just kind of like, man, we've seen the same things happening over and over, and nothing is changing. So I think there is a lot of momentum when things are ripe for for change, and realizing we cannot sit and wait for these folks to do something. That's why the importance of building parallel systems like Bitcoin and like other things are really, really important uh, that people can utilize, and so that we can say we're good, we've got it, we've we're, we've we've figured out how to take care of ourselves and how to how to run things a little bit better than, than you all. And we don't need you, you know, we don't need you wall street. We don't need you banks. We don't need you Joe Biden. We like doing that. I'm very, very, very hopeful about that going forward. Um, the only way that that would, these things would be jeopardized is if the government and all of these people, um, really got on the same page and really started to, to do things incredibly well and not spend so much and provide everything for like these things just aren't happening right. It's kind of baked into the understanding that you know this uh, shit will keep hitting the fan. (laughs) That's kind of why these things happen like bank bank crises you know wall street government all of this. So I'm very hopeful about people coming together and seeing these things and not being so reliant on those systems because they just have not been working. Yeah, I, th- I think it's important to have like
1: an alternative system because um, mm-hmm. I, I don't think you can, I mean, this is probably like a separate conversation. We don't have to go down, but like it's hard to say whether or not you can reform the existing one or if that's a fight that you want to have or if you'd rather just build an alternative one in parallel yeah. that, you know,
0: is is better or yeah. Yeah, I think I've started to take that point of view <clears throat> from hearing from many people that are way smarter than me and have been in Bitcoin or in so many different things, jo- journalism, Occupy protesters, Black Lives Matter protesters, like being inspired by people that are building a parallel system. And so that people just naturally gravitate towards it. And they're like, oh, this is this is working better. We're going to see what, what this is like. Um, it, It's very, um, it's just kind of comical. A lot of it is kind of like satire of like, huh, you guys are like, not getting your shit together, like we're gonna we're gonna go with Bitcoin, like like these these guys this this is working. We're gonna use that. So that's I think that's very cool. Um, last question for you in ter- on that topic, in terms of like Sweden and the West, um, do you feel similarly to that? Do you feel that we could be ripe for things? Because I think you know there the, in the U.S. there's a lot of regulation on like privacy and money, but I know Europe I think is a little bit ahead of us on. Uh, European Central Bank on CBDCs, on a little bit of these privacy takes, uh, things like that. So it's a bit more in your face, I think, or a little bit more mm-hmm. advanced. Um, and the U.S. And, and and Europe are working so closely together on all of this, right? But but for you, do you do you hold the same optimism in that? Whereas, kind of your your fear metric on uh, some of these things.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I hold tremendous optimism. I, I'm not that fearful of uh, of CBDCs. Um, I, I just think that, um, one Sweden is already basically a CBDC society. It's one of the most cashless societies yeah. on the planet and people have no problem with it for the reasons that I mentioned earlier. They have, they have a high trust in government and for the most part, their government and their leaders are responsible and mm-hmm. the system really works. Um, so for them, you know, uh, financial privacy is just not relevant. So a CBDC would have like no impact on, on, on the Swedes. Um, but I, I think that what it also will do, um, and I, I hope what it will do is it, it'll show that Bitcoin is the polar opposite uh, of a CBDC in many ways. Mm-hmm. It, for the people that, for a lot of people, a CBDC will be a problem and it will be used a, 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 as a tool to, uh, to uh, infringe on people's freedoms. Mm-hmm. Especially you can imagine some uh, more dictatorial uh, le- leaders you know using this tool a nefarious ways. And I think that what 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 that'll do is that'll show people like, hey, there is an alternative that has been being built for, you know, 15 years that is robust, uh, that is designed, uh, so that, you know, nobody can uh basically censor you or nobody can track you mm-hmm. in the same ways that a CBDC potentially can. So I hope that what it will do is it- it'll serve as something a- a- It will make Bitcoin serve as a very stark contrast to uh, the the CBDC, uh, which I hope will get people to look at it uh, a little bit more.
0: Yeah. And everything is good for Bitcoin. I usually don't like to say those blanket statements, those catchphrases, but sometimes like, you know, that one, sometimes again, you're you're exposing that system and it's going to cause people to turn more. If either through incompetence, because someone's account might be accidentally frozen or something doesn't work, right? Or because, for uh, more nefarious reasons, or because, oh, you, you know, this transaction, used that keyword, and no, it, it's closed, right? Just people not, not, not working. Um, so my hope is that either through this podcast and so many efforts, like, the concept of freedom, freedom of speech, freedom of transaction, privacy, be viewed less and less as a, uh, like, a political party-type thing or a political ideology. It's political in the sense of you have rulers that are against that. But it's not an, it should not be an ideological difference. It should be like more people just want freedom to do as they wish and to be who they are and to feel safe in their society to, to be and do that, as long as they are not directly harming someone else in, in a most extreme mm-hmm. case. right? Not the, you know, potential or that is a, a harmful feeling or thing you said, but you, know, having people feel safe, that, I hope will be less and less of an ideological thing. And I mean, the height of that has been the past couple of years and in my context and seeing things in the U.S. So my hope even beyond Bitcoin is we move to that place. Yeah, same. Yeah. Well, Eric, I'm I'm glad we talked about so many of these different things. I didn't know which way we'd go in some of this conversation towards the end, uh, but uh, I really enjoyed it. Where can people, you know, follow, support you, support your work? I know you've got like you know, your, your website and the projects you're working on in, in Twitter, but where can folks follow along and, you know, engage with you?
1: Yeah. I mean, Twitter is probably the, the place that you can kind of keep up with my daily updates on the stuff that I'm working on and daily thoughts. So it's a UX Eric underscore um you can also go to my website to find my nostr. i i don't i i, I, I never memorize my npub i never know how to direct people to my nostr. yeah it's it's connected to my nip 5 so maybe you can search eric at uieric.com but i'm yeah. not usually sure i put in the show how, notes
0: too if someone's even remotely okay. uh, so it'll be it'll be in the show notes for people to yeah to reach out yeah
1: yeah, if not, my NPUB is on on my website. And if you're interested in in, in Kashu, I recommend going to Kashu.space, C-A-S-H-U.space, C-A-S-H-U.space uh, for the, the protocol documentation and, and to learn more about the different wallets that are out there uh, and, and how it's used. Uh, because I, I think that eCash has a very, very bright future on Bitcoin.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Really enjoyed the conversation. And, and folks, be sure to Check out Eric's work. Um, you're an awesome designer. I love your stuff. Oh, thanks, um, man. So much. I think you're doing so much good stuff uh, and, and excited to see the year ahead. Yeah,
1: it's going to be a fun one, man. Uh, thanks for having me. It's been nice chatting. Yeah, absolutely.